Okay, so today we get Kirsten Christensen. Kirsten has been at the North Church for 16 years and loves her church family. She is on staff at BBC and TNC. She's got a lot of acronyms there. In crisis, <laughs> crisis and counseling care. She and her husband, Pete, have gone through deep waters in their marriage and are thankful for God and um, the North Church for shepherding them through from one degree of glory to another. Pete and Kirsten have a son, Thad, who is an engineering student at University of Northwestern, and Kirsten enjoys time with her family, good gospel conversation with God's people, caribou's dark hot chocolate, algebra, and seeing God's redemption roll out. And my two cents, um, if you want to pick someone out from church to go have coffee with, Kirsten's a good one, and I'm sure she would probably say yes. Yes, to hot chocolate, dark hot chocolate. You got to have dark. Um, And two, this is kind of a blessing for us, I think, um, This topic was one of the most requested topics that we had, Um, and Kirsten was very um, ready and very eager to come speak with us, and so um, it's just a blessing from God um, for us this year um, that you can think about, too. Anyway, here's Kirsten. Good morning. Uh, It's so fun to be here, and I'm really thankful for our mom's ministry. I participated in it years ago, and I still think it's such a blessing to our church. The ripple effects of you you women sitting here is uh, incredible, and I I just want to commend you for finding all the mittens and the gloves and the (laughs) this and the that and wrestling them all out there. I had one child, and I always marveled at people who had four, five, six, or my friend Sarah Schull, who had 11. Like, how do you even do that? Like, yeah. So I don't think that I'm overstating it at all when I say that there isn't an emotion that I've struggled with more or that has been more motivating and debilitating to me than fear. Fear has driven me to excel solely to avoid failure, to gain good regard, or to avoid being in trouble. Fear has paralyzed me, provoked me to lie, and worse, led me to hurt people, including my husband and my son. And I'm very sad to say that I've often given in to that fear. Fear has also tempted me to take my eyes off of God and to forget him and to believe lies about him. Satanic fear kills and destroys. It's one of the very powerful ways that Satan tempts us to reject God. Satan says, did God really? And Eve wonders, what if I'm missing out on something? Maybe I should take things into my own hands. I don't trust God. I'll make it happen myself. That's fear. Rather than fearing God, we despise him and all we have in him. And that really is heartbreaking. So today I want to talk to you about fear and show you how destructive it is to when it drives our parenting And I also want to show you how fearing our steadfastly loving, very good father, God, is the most excellent way to parent and to live. Fearing God makes us better lovers of him, lovers of our family, and lovers of each other. Back in the day, 20 years ago, Pete and I were in a church out in Seattle, 
and the pasture became entangled in some sin. The hairspray did not hold here, so you're going to see me keep doing this. I'm sorry. I almost asked somebody for hairspray, and I thought that would be prideful. Okay. So this pastor uh, got entangled in sin, and after he left, I happened to be at the church and walked by his office, and it was empty except for desk, chair, bookshelf, but right in back of him on the wall was this poster, and it said, it may be that the purpose of my life is to serve as a warning to others. And that really resonated with me, like put the fear of God into me, literally, I was like, I do not want that to be the purpose of my life. Still, I think part of God's design for the body of Christ is that we do share our hard-gotten wisdom so that we can warn each other away from dangerous beliefs and habits and encourage each other with what our gracious Father has taught each of us. With that in mind, I'm going to share some of my failures with you and how God has disciplined me and how I've learned to fear the Lord and grow in love. First, though, and this is probably the most important part of my talk, I want to ground this talk in one simple and powerful truth, and I wish that I could come to each of your tables and look you in the eyes and say this. It is just this, that if you are in Christ, this is the truest thing I know to tell you about God, is he is a redeemer. You can't outsin God. You have a Father in heaven who deeply loves you. He created you to glorify him, to make him known to your spheres of influence, starting with the littlest ones in your family, by loving him and worshiping him. You were made to enjoy him and to orient your life to him. He chose to make you. He didn't have to make you. He could have said, ah, oh, Casey Lichty, good idea, but I think I'll skip. But he said, no, I want Casey to exist, and I want her for my own. He chose to make you out of his great, great love for you. I really want that to resonate for you. He is more committed to your sanctification than you are. I'm probably going to cry. I didn't last night, but here we are. Because of his great steadfast love for you, it's immovable, unshakable. So if you wrestle with fear or the myriad countless respectable or non-respectable sins that may beset you, God will tenaciously and surely, in more ways than you can imagine, help you turn and grow in Christlikeness. And those very things that you feel like you have to hide away or never talk about again or pretend didn't happen, those are the things that he takes and he redeems. Sarah Groves, in her song, He's Always Been Faithful, puts it like this, I can't remember a trial or a pain he did not recycle to bring me gain. I can't remember one single regret in serving him only and trusting him yet. That's my theme song since that song came out. That, that says it all. And this is our God. I also want to remind you, again, looking in your eyes, that if you are in Christ, Jesus loves you. Whatever is going on in your lives, your marriage, your parenting, your own growing in Christ, you have a Savior who is interceding for you at the foot of the Father. Romans 8.34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Such good news. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for all of us. 
You are not alone in your suffering, in your temptations, in your trials. Jesus not only intercedes for us, but he also sent the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. Can you hear how hemmed in you are from every side? This is by your steadfastly loving Father. With this in mind, I want to talk briefly about three of countless manifestations of faithless, forgetful fear, and then offer a more excellent way. The first type of fear is fear of man. I was raised by a mom who used anger as a way of being. What was harder was that I never knew when things were going to go off the rails and explode. Sometimes the things that I thought were sure to get her angry just passed by. And other things that I thought were innocuous got me a tongue lashing or worse. Because sin always begets sin, remember James talks about this when he exhorts us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce what? Right? Yep, we're always planting things in each other. I then at first unconsciously, and then it became a habit, decided to do whatever it took to not be in trouble. What started as fear of mom became fear of everyone. While it's understandable for a child to find ways to navigate a chaotic childhood, when that child grows up and is 35 and 45 and is still living as though everyone is an angry God, that becomes problematic to say the least and sinful if left unaddressed. As an adult, this spilled out into my marriages, both my first and my present marriage, my family relationships, and my work life. I was defensive, uncorrectable, full of shame, which can lead to self-centeredness, and deceitful, trying to skirt truth and put myself and my actions in the best possible light. So how did the Lord help me dig out of that? How did he help me dig that root out of my heart? Well, first, he exposed it. So um, when the domestic abuse ministry started at Bethlehem, I started working with all 44 elders across all the campuses, which meant I was dealing with a lot of personalities in a lot of hard situations, and I was a sinner too. And sometimes an elder would text me a text like, we need to talk. And immediately my heart would seize up, and I would think, okay, what are all the things I did in this situation that I did wrong? How can I defend them? How can I make that seem like it wasn't as bad as they're going to say? And then I would inevitably either text back or we'd get on the phone and be like, what do you think about this? Or whatever thing that they, whatever question they had. That really exposed to me how I was twisting things and assuming the worst. So God really exposed that to me, and I'm thankful. Um, he, number two, brought his word and other Bible teaching to help me see the provocations and the sinful responses. That happened through sermons. Like, just all of a sudden, in every direction, I just kept hearing messages about this. And third, he gave me a wonderful sister and brother in the body of Christ to help me grow in Christlikeness. In particular, Brian Lichty was really helpful when he came to me shortly after he um, started here and brought some concerns to me about myself. And through that, that was really good for me. And he's like my favorite ministry partner. I just, I adore him now. Um, and I really adore him because he was willing to do that and, and let me work that out with the Lord. 
Now, sometimes an elder will reach out for conversation. Like last week, Stephen poked his head out and said, could, could you poke your head in here? And he said at the end, and you're not in trouble. <laughs> um, and now I tell the elders, you don't need to do that anymore. The Lord has had his way with me. Not perfectly, but he has. Three things I want you to notice. Number one, my mom's parenting did have an impact on me. Her anger begat something in me. We do impact our children. Second, my mom was not the final or even the most important word over my life. God was. He ordained that she was the very perfect mom for me. He was the one that chose her for me and me for her. And he ordained that partially for my salvation and sanctification. He has not let me be defined by my mom's or my sin. Christ defines me. Third, I was living in fear of people and their opinions of me. I'm going to stop for a moment and ask you, who do you fear? Who do you, what do you do when you fear a person? To what or whom do you turn for refuge? We are to be involved in each other's lives and speak truth in love. We are not to live at the mercy of anyone other than our loving Heavenly Father. Hebrews 4 says, 14 through 16, Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast, be steadfast, in our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Another destructive fear is fear of weakness and being exposed or being seen as who I really am. This fear keeps us from living transparent lives within our families and our faith community. It actually breaks down family and community. We all have weaknesses. Um, and I'm not talking about authenticity, by the way. It's not letting your freak flag fly, right? Like, this is transparency where we say, I have weaknesses, and I want the Lord to work in and through me, okay? I hear about authenticity. Don't, don't go down that road, all right? Romans 5, 7 through 8 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To let fear tempt us to present our lives as though Christ has returned and we're all living in heaven now is foolish at best and deceitful at worst. We see this in Instagram, don't we? Perfectly curated pictures of our homes, all clean and shiny. Everybody has white furniture. Have you noticed this? <laughs> Sun streaming through the windows while our children outdo one another in love. In the halcyon days of summer, beautiful bouquets of flowers. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not the problem. Our hearts are. We've taken our eyes off God. We must lift our eyes to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In my time of working at Bethlehem in the North Church, I couldn't count on all the fingers and toes in this room at the number of times I've heard people who I've served or just been friends with. Everyone else at church has their lives together. I just can't even say it with a straight face. We are a mess. We are a mess. I can't come to this thing or that thing because I don't have my life together. To which I reply, of course you don't. 
None of us do. What do you want us all to do? Come into the front doors on a Sunday morning with a full head of steam, snapping at our husbands and eye-daggering our kids as we walk down the center aisle to our chairs? That's not what church is for, to let it all hang out. It's for worshiping God together with our brothers and sisters who all are going through things, and we're wanting to orient ourselves to the Lord. We're going through those particular struggles, and we're being equipped to be able to minister to each other. That's what church is for. The only way you get encouragement that really helps is by sharing where you need encouragement. Which, of course, means that we have to face our humanity so that God can minister to us through the gift of each other. I often say that the best gift that God gave us after the gift of Jesus is the gift of each other, the body of Christ. So we get to minister to each other through each other. By all means, know your weaknesses so that you can grow out of them and you can learn of your other weaknesses then. But don't pretend that they don't exist or be afraid of them. Fear the Lord who deeply, deeply loves you. One final note about fear of our weaknesses. When you read scripture, one of the themes that runs from Genesis through to Revelation is that God uses our weaknesses to show himself. Don't block God showing himself through you. 2 Corinthians 12 is particularly helpful for thinking about that. So to keep me from becoming conceited, so remember, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Can you hear the sandwich? He's saying, these weaknesses, these thorns come to keep us from conceited, and Satan tries to take our, hand, our eyes off it, off God, by harassing us, all right? And it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, not taking away the thorn, for my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of what? My weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me rest on us. For the sake of Christ, then, here's the crazy phrase again, I'm content with weaknesses. Think about that. When we talked about contentedness a couple years ago, Pam, we missed this one, right? We're called to be content in our weakness, in insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. His power is made perfect. Don't fear your weaknesses. Spend it for him. Share it with friends, how the Lord is using your weaknesses for his purposes. Finally, and this is one that was very powerful in my life, is a fear of future outcomes. Or what I like to call, fear of my sin being more powerful than God as though I was God and Thad's salvation and useful life was dependent on me. You see where I'm headed, right? As some of you know, Pete and I had a pretty rocky, chaotic marriage for the first 10 or 12 years, including a period of separation of 18 months when Thad was young. Sin wasn't just crouching at the door, it had owned the house. Praise God with the help of our church and friends, particularly I want to shout out to Liz and Steve Stein, who were steadfast. We have been reconciled for 12 years now, all, all, all glory to God. 
What you might not have thought about if you know our story is what was that like for our son that time? Well, I thought about it a lot. In fact, I would think more about it than pray about it. I would think more about it than trust God with it. I would think about it more than look at his word about it. The truth is, those first years were very hard on our son. I won't go into details, but he saw and heard more than any kid should. When Pete and I reconciled, our son was six and a half, and as things were getting better, one degree at a time between us, our son finally felt the freedom and safety to express his emotions, and they were big, and they terrified me. I believed that we had wrecked him, ruined him for life. Now, you're going to laugh at what I say next, particularly those who do know him, but to me, I believed these things, and I was terrified. I would actually say to my friends, and Liz would bear witness to this, that my son was going to be a serial killer, that he would be an abusive man, and or that he would never be able to find a wife and support a family. Now, you can imagine how that impacted my parenting of him, right? So this is how in bondage I was to fear and how I deposed God and put Pete and me and our parenting on the throne. This went on for several years, and I parented out of that deep, deep fear. So I was extra hard on Thad. I tried to control and minimize any mistakes or sins of his. You can see what this might breed in him, right? Perfectionism, fear, anger, a distorted view of God. Ring any bells from my childhood? But God. A few things turned the ship around. First, I had sisters in Christ who spoke the truth in me. They weren't afraid of how messy our family was, and they weren't afraid to speak the truth in love. So they would laugh. I mean, I really would say these things with total conviction, and they would laugh at me and say, Kirsten, this is a, he's a great kid. I'm like, I know, but he had this temper tantrum, and now it's all gone. And they would just say no and speak truth. They gently but firmly corrected me. God bless Sarah Schull, Mandy Nowlin, Liz Stein, and a host of others. Second, I got help. I took Mary Wilkins' class, How People Change, if you ever get a chance to do that, I highly recommend it, which is biblical change on steroids. Mary and Marsha Lane really walked with me through the homework and practical application of that homework, and it made a huge difference. The more that I came to see how distorted my view of God was, then, and the gospel even was, the more I was able to parent out of fear of God, fully trusting his perfect love for the three of us. And finally, God gave me two passages that provided a theology that I could map onto my life. First, 2 Timothy 1. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is the Holy Spirit he's talking about here, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind or self-control. In this passage, self-control and sound mind are interchangeable. The Greek word for fear is dilia, which the ESV commentary says in extra-biblical literature refers to one who flees from the battle and has a strong pejorative sense referring to cowardice. Man's fear cannot cohabit with the Holy Spirit power, Christ-like love, and a God-centered sound mind. I had to pick. Who was I going to believe? I, was, I chose to fear God. 
The other passage was Philippians 4, 3 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, first of all, that rejoice in the Lord, rejoice that you have the God of the universe at your fingertips. He is on call 24-7. Whatever's going on, you can rejoice that you are not left without a pathway through and out. The Lord is your Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonableness, my goal in life is someday that when I die, somebody would be willing to put on my headstone, she was unflappable. That's not where I am right now. But reasonable is that, that word. That's what I long for. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. How can we do that? The Lord is at hand. Think about the at hand. When my phone is at hand, it's right here. The Lord is at hand. Because he's at hand, don't be anxious about anything. You're going to be anxious, but don't live there. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, make your request be made known to God who's at hand. And the peace that surpasses all understanding, it will blow your mind. The peace that surpasses all understanding, right? All understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, which means fear will stay out. Um, let me just see here. P.S. Thad seems to be fine, and I'll tell you why later. So what is the more excellent way? And that's not, he's not perfect. <laughs> he is not, he, he looks put together, but he has struggles and weaknesses just like the rest of us. So the more excellent way then, what is that? Psalm 27. For time's sake, I'm just going to read little bits of it. But I really am asking you today to, to read Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 3. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise, arise against me, yet I will be confident. And it goes on, and towards the end... Um, says, uh, verse 10, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries or false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. In sum, faithless fear is a f result of forgetting, of not believing God, his love for you, and his sovereign good power. Only God can destroy you. Only God can destroy us. There isn't one thing that you will suffer or that will happen to your children or your family that is outside of his perfect loving control. So three ways to walk out of faithless fear and toward fearing the Lord. Number one, my Aunt B gave this to me a few years ago, and it has really been helpful. First thing in the morning when I wake up, I pray, God, help me wake up and see you clearly and see myself through your eyes, not through 
anybody else's eyes, not through Gina's eyes. Much as I enjoy and appreciate Gina, I can't look at myself through her eyes. I'm looking at myself through God's eyes. I live my life before the Lord. Number two, doubt your fears and doubt them fast. Slay them with the truth. Make sure you have on the whole armor of God. Here are three truths you can fight them with. One, throughout all of scripture, God has again and again and again used dire circumstances, sinful people, and fishes and loaves to accomplish his purposes. Orient yourself to him and his loving purposes for you and your family and obey him. Whatever God says to do, do it. He will lead you all the way home, I promise. And even better, he promises. Second, we are not a people of the prosperity gospel. We are sola people. Sola scriptura, scripture alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. And soli deo gloria, to God's glory alone. Because he first loved us, we love him by living out his word, not for the outcome, but for love of him. He is a steadfastly loving, sovereign God, and our and our children's times and days are in his hands. In other words, you can parent imperfectly or even make big mistakes and even trust Christ, and your kids can turn to their own ways. And you can completely botch it up and have deep regret, and Christ will find them. Remember that 1 Corinthians 3 cautions against us taking credit for anything. He says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you have believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are the one, and each will receive his wages according to their labor. So do be faithful in your parenting. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. You are called to faithfulness. God knows you are a sinner as well as a sufferer and a saint. Be Christ and leave the outcome to him. And third, fearing God means repenting, and it means bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. I think Pete's and my enduring legacy for Thad and any grandchildren that might come. Please, God. <laughs> I know, just a few, though. Every so often when he comes home, he's been in college, you know, two and a half months, I say, so have, have you met her yet? Like... <laughs> By God's grace, we have repented over and over and over again to each other in front of Thad and to Thad in front of each other. And we have repented specifically. We've named our sins, we've named why it's wrong, and we've named how we intend to do better, and we've asked him how we can make it right. When we do that, when you do that out loud with your children, you are teaching them that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You are modeling how to fight sin, how to trust in Christ's efficacious blood and resurrection, and walk in newness of life. You are modeling that God transforms us from one degree of glory to another. 
repent, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and believe that Christ has forgiven you. There is so much more that I could say, but not enough time. In a nutshell, faithless, forgetful fear is prideful, self-centered, controlling sin that breeds distrust and fear in relationships. Fear of God breeds love, it does good to others, and it sanctifies us. This is the way of love. This is how we grow in relationship to God and to each other. It is how the family of Christ flourishes and thrives. It's how we one another each other. You live before the Lord. Rest in that. Rest in the comfort that you have in the gospel of Jesus, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you find yourself resonating with this, or you feel stuck in some way in your life, or things are really hard at home and you need help, I know Brian Lichty and the counseling ministry would love to come alongside you and help you. And I'm not just saying that because he's my boss. May I pray over you? Oh, I do have this list that I think Claire was going to bring. It's here of just some music that is music I play when fear is coming and some books that have really helped me. So may I pray over you now? Father God, it is just always, um, I get more out of my talks than anybody else does, Lord. You know how much of a work in progress I am and that you are good. You are a good God. You are a sovereignly loving God. You are steadfast. You are steadfast. You are our steadfastness, Lord. You don't make us have to do anything alone. You are doing and working in and through us in ways that we won't know this side of heaven. God, where there is fear today in women's lives, fear about children, fear what others are thinking, fear of circumstances, whatever those fears are, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would be completely set free in each woman to help them to lift their eyes to the hills from where their help comes, which is you, the maker of heaven and earth. I give testimony today. Thank you for what you've done in my family. Thank you that even though we are still very much a work in progress, you still very much are at work in us. Help these women to remember that and to believe that, that you will be working in us and you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And every day until then, Lord, you're going to be working in us and our sin is not a surprise to you. So help us, help us live out of that reality that you love us, you are for us, you are steadfastly in our corner as we are in yours. Keep us, hold us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.